All right, so inspired by Caleb, we'll do some audience participation. I was going to get Caleb to come up here, and then I was going to get Tucker to slap him. <laughs> because if you weren't here a couple, like, was that just last week? Just last week, t Caleb had me come up here and had my own brother slap me in front of the church. For perfectly reasonable reasons, perfectly good reasons. I'm not gonna, I can't complain, because I deserved it. But uh, we are going to do some audience participation. I hope you came ready to participate. So here's what we're going to do. And I don't want you to get like super competitive about this or it won't be like safe. So like, like, like don't push yourself too hard. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're all going to take a deep breath together and we're going to hold that breath for as long as you can within reason. Like, 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 so I don't get super competitive and like injure yourself. All right, ready? Here we go. We're gonna all hold our breath together. Ready? One, two, three. It's gonna be real interesting on the recording. Real interesting on the recording. Who's been cheating? Me. Y'all are really good at this. Okay, stop. <laughs> because, because if I don't, because I could sit here and we could hold our breaths for another, probably I guess all of you are apparently Olympic swimmers and could go for another minute or two. At some point though, okay, at some point though, you all would have had to stop holding your breath and, and breathe, yes? I think we can all agree with that. At some point, you had to start breathing again. Why? Huh? Because you, you needed the air, right? You needed the air to keep going. We breathe because we are alive. And by, by virtue of being alive, we have to breathe in air to keep ourselves going. So here's another question. While you were holding your breath, while you were not actively breathing, were you still alive? Yes. Yes. I think we can all say that. You were alive, so, so you weren't like actively doing the thing that, that, that reveals that you're alive, but you were alive, and you could feel the need. You, were, you could feel the compelling, um, the compelling sense inside of you that you need to stop doing this really soon so that you can get some oxygen into your lungs so that you can keep going. I'm sure if, if I let us keep going, somebody would have gone so far as to pass out, so that's why I felt, <laughs> for, for insurance purposes, that it was probably a good idea to stop. So, so we were quickly compelled to breathe. Once you stop breathing, you feel this need. You, you, your, your state of being, you, the fact that you were alive at that time meant that you had to breathe. There was something in you, because of, your, because of the life that's in you, you needed to do this thing. It was a natural response to being alive. Not something that you could, you could help. You could fight it for as long as you want to. But for as long as you are actually alive, you are going to breathe. It is going to naturally happen. There's nothing that you can do about it. So as we transition out of Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus has really been focusing a lot on, and we keep saying this, kind of refocusing his followers' attention on what God originally intended in the Old Testament. 
not giving them a new set of rules, not taking away a set of rules, not providing anything brand new, but instead just refocusing them on what God's heart was for them. As he transitions into Matthew 6, we read this at the end of chapter 5. Caleb touched on it last week. Like, like the last sentence of chapter 5 is, you have to be perfect just like my father is perfect. Which we're like, that's a high calling. Like, that's impossible. And we talked about that. Yes, that is impossible. We cannot, in our own, manufacture perfection. Right? We are, we are fallen, we are broken. Again, reminding us that it takes the power of the Holy Spirit working in us to, like, like we were praying just a minute ago, to kind of stir up our affections for Jesus. To, to make us into people who would pursue Christ-likeness, who would pursue the idea of being perfect. Like, like, we want that. We want to stop sinning. We want to get this stuff out of our lives. We want to look more like Jesus. And so that's the, that's the standard. If you're going to earn your way in, this is what the standard is. And that's kind of a good closing for chapter 5, this idea of here's this whole law, and if you're going to try to get by on the law, the standard is perfection. But what he has constantly been reminding us is that, that, that all of this flows out of a changed heart, that, 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 that God comes in and he gives us a new life. And, and ultimately, and we've seen this throughout Scripture, ultimately our salvation comes by the sacrifice of Jesus, not by our own ability to maintain the law perfectly, to keep it all exactly as God laid out. So as we move into chapter 6, he's going to start giving us Really clear examples of what it looks like to live out our faith. So, so not just here are the rules that, that God would intend for you to follow, or here's, here's how he would hope that your heart is. Here are the, here are the ways that he would hope that you would, you, would, you would act on these things. Now, I'm going to slow it way down this week. Like we joked about how we're going to be in Matthew for the next like 15 years. At the pace we're going to go today, it would take a little bit longer than that. So we're going to do one verse today. We're just going to do chapter 6, verse 1. I'll go ahead and read it. The reason I wanted to slow it down and just focus on this verse is because it's going to kind of set up everything else that Jesus is going to talk about through the rest of chapter 6. And I have a couple of things I think that we can focus on as a church to kind of get us all on board, hopefully, for what God would have for us. And as we go through into the more specific examples of the things that he talks about in verse 1, I want our hearts to already be in the right place, ready to go. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. One more time. I might as well read it a second time for us because this is the only verse we got. We might as well hear it well. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So, this is not the first time since Jesus started preaching this Sermon on the Mount that he has talked about the believer's relationship to action. Right? This isn't the first time that he's talked about when you live out your faith, this sort of thing. In fact, it was just a few verses ago in Matthew 5, verse 16. He said, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father as in heaven. So when you hear that verse, next to verse 1 from chapter 6, all of a sudden you're like, wait a sec. Those sound like they're saying the opposite thing. One of them is saying, when you do your good works, make sure that people can see you. And then you get to verse 
1 of chapter 6, and he says, so when you do your acts of righteousness, don't do them to be seen by others. So really easily, if you took these two verses out of context, you're like, wait a second. Which is it? Is the Bible, is the Bible at odds with itself? Is Jesus immediately counteracting something that he's just taught us? What is he trying to get here? Because you could very easily convince yourself if you just took you know, the first couple of words, like, like practice so people can see you, but, but don't practice where people will see you. Right? It, it becomes confusing. What is Jesus really trying to get at? Or better, should I say, which verse should we believe? It's one of those philosophy class questions that all the graduates don't have to take anymore. Right? Like one of those, which ones should you believe? Or is there a third option where we believe them both? So at first, you could be tempted to take to take verse um, 1 and say that that means you should, you should bring no attention to yourself. Like, like any, any works or any actions that, that you would want to take uh, in worship or, or any of the other things. That he, and he's going to talk about a bunch of different things. Prayer, he's going to talk about, about giving, he's going to talk about fasting. All of these things he's going to say, perhaps all of these examples, maybe I'm just supposed to, to go hide. I'm supposed to stay in my house and make sure, sure nobody sees anything. Like, because like, I wouldn't want them to see that I'm doing some works and I wouldn't want to bring any attention to myself. Right? Right. That's, that's one option. Like, like to, to, take, to take my spirituality or to take my, my faith and, and make, it to, make it so public that people are going to see me doing something with it. Obviously, that's what he's saying I shouldn't do. I shouldn't do anything so that people will see me. So I should hide. I should, I should do this all on my own. I should keep myself kind of, kind of hidden behind a curtain or, or locked up in my house so that I stay safe. And if you locked into that, um, if you were going to try to keep the spiritual kind of separate from the physical, you could very easily find yourself uh, in this mindset um, from these people called the Gnostics. They believed in this thing called Gnosticism. Spelled with a G, obviously. Uh, this... this this idea has been around since the time of Christ and it's pretty much still present today. The idea behind Gnosticism is that everything that is spiritual is good and everything that is physical is evil. Like, like once, once there was creation, once there were physical beings that were not like in a spiritual sense just like God, once we got to that point, everything was broken. Everything was bad. All of those things are wicked. Our goal is to be completely spiritual and to try to get rid of the physical, to try to separate ourselves from the physical world. You're probably hearing that and you're already thinking, but wait, didn't Jesus come physically? Yes. Philippians 2 talks about how Jesus set aside, he didn't, it says he didn't see being seated in heaven as being anything too too much to let go of for a time, and that he humbled himself and took on the form of man. Like he came physically. Somebody who, was, who believed in Gnosticism would say, I, I reject that. I don't think that Jesus would physically come and walk around and be here with us. Maybe he came in a spiritual form and maybe he was just a spirit there with him. But, but I can't get into the idea that he's wanting that he would physically be here because anything that's physical is bad. 
And so you could take that verse, you could take verse 1, and you could say, oh, so i got to just separate myself from any sort of, any sort of physicality when it comes to my spiritual walk. i got to just focus on keeping, keeping just my interaction with God, Holy Spirit, prayer, and i got to make sure that nobody sees me. i got to keep myself kind of protected because I don't want anybody to see me doing anything. I gotta be, I gotta be on my own. So, so, so is what Jesus telling us is that we should, we should only live out our faith in private? Is he telling us that we should, we should separate ourselves from others and kind of live our lives kind of wrapped up in a cocoon, protected from anything that the world might see? Should we keep our actions to ourselves? And I ask this question because, because as you continue to move th- forward through this chapter, when he talks about giving and he talks about fasting and he talks about praying, a lot of what he talks about, he says, you know, don't do this in a, in a, in a big way and try to draw attention to yourself because of the way that you live out your faith. But one of the things he doesn't say is that you should not do things to live out your faith. He also does not say that you should live the Christian life in isolation. I mean, even from the beginning at creation in Genesis 2, God creates Adam. Everything else he's created, he said it's good. But once he got done creating Adam, he said, it is not good that he's by himself. He needs community. If he's going to perfectly represent who I am, my nature on earth, then I'm going to have to get him in community. He needs others around him. He needs, he needs another person. It wasn't ever intended by God for us to walk alone. We were always intended to be together. David understood this when he wrote Psalm 73. Uh, I'm going to read verses 16 and 17. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. He's saying, when I was trying to figure out what I was supposed to do on my own, I was overwhelmed. I had no idea what to do. But I went to be with the people of God. And once I was with the people of God, everything fell into place. God's intent for us is not that we would be isolated. It's that we would be together. So knowing that God would intend for us to go through the Christian life, following him together among other people, what do we do with verse 1 where he's saying, don't perform your acts of righteousness in order to be seen by others. So, so how do I do that in public with the rest of the church? How, what am I supposed to do with that? What is Jesus really intending? First of all, I want us to get get locked in on this idea that he says, be aware of practicing your righteousness before other people. He just says be aware of practice. Like, essentially he's saying, when you perform acts of righteousness. So he is assuming that you will be performing all of these actions and more as a result of your being part of the body of Christ. He's not saying, you are saved and now you do nothing. Now you just sit back and you wait for Christ to come back and you check out. 
He is assuming that we are going to have actions that come as a result of our salvation. So we can't, we can't make this assumption that, that when he says beware, like he's saying stop. He's not saying stop. He's assuming we are. He's giving us some context for how we're supposed to live out our faith. And just like we've been saying, just like Jesus has been emphasizing through all of these laws that he's been revisiting, he's saying you've been locked too much into the idea of doing these things to earn my favor, but I'm just after your heart. And I think that's the big reminder that he's trying to give us here. He's like, he cares about where your heart is in what you do, in what you perform for him. Where is your heart when you are faced with, I want to worship, I want to lift my hands, I want to give money, I want to fast, I want to pray. Any number of things. When you find yourself in this situation, I, and, you're, and we're playing music, and Nick's up here and he's singing, and it's awesome, sounded good this morning. And you're like, I want to react to this. I want to dance. I want to lift my hands. I want to close my eyes. I want to get down on my knees. Are we saying we shouldn't do that so that other, because other people might see that? You might draw attention to yourself. Does that mean you should not do that thing? No. What he's reminding us is he is after your heart. If your heart says, I need to do this thing because I want everybody to see me and I want people to understand how spiritual I am. I want people to understand how close to Jesus I am so I'm going to do this thing so that they'll know. That's what he's saying. He's saying guard yourself against that idea. Guard yourself against the mentality that says, I need to do these things so that people will elevate me or will, will see me as something, as someone who is really close to Christ. And not... I need to do these things as a response to a heart that is so passionately for Christ. That's what he's looking for. He's saying, practice all of these acts of righteousness, please. You're not going to be able to help it. Just like when you held your breath earlier, you're not going to be able to help it. If you're alive, if you've got a heart inside of you that the Holy Spirit has stirred up for Jesus, right? if you are in a spiritual sense alive, Sure, you can be alive and not do anything, just like when we were holding our breath, right? You were alive even though you weren't actively breathing. But if you really are in Christ, if you really are alive, you aren't going to be able to help but to have these acts of righteousness. That's the phrase that he keeps using, your righteousness. All of that is going to come out of you at some point if you are in Christ. If your heart beats for him, you will not be able to help but, but worship him, but, but, but pray, but fast, but, but, but give to people who are in need, but all of these various spiritual disciplines, they're going to flow out of you, and they're going to flow out of you in community with the rest of the church. Because that's what God's desire is for us. So God is after your heart. If he doesn't have your heart and you're trying to manufacture all these things, then you've fallen into the same trap that Israel had fallen into that he's been, he's been trying to refocus them on through all of chapter 5, where, where you're just kind of spinning your wheels. You're just going after these things. You're trying to please God by things that you do. And that's not what he's looking for. He wants a heart that loves him. And because you love him, out of that flows all of these actions. Out of that flows 
a response. He doesn't say that actions are unimportant. And just like I said, public action is assumed. It's even encouraged. So, so when he says, when you give to the needy, he's not saying, he's not just focusing on do it in secret. And we'll talk about all of these in more specificity in later weeks. He's not saying, he's not saying go hide and pray. He's not saying, go hide so you can give. Go hide. He's saying, if your heart is in the wrong place and you're doing this to be seen, you shouldn't do it. But if your heart is really after Christ, you're going to do these things. It's assumed. It's going to happen. Because here's the thing. Our actions, the things that we do, when we gather together, when we sing, when we raise our hands, when we give our tithes, when we give our offerings, when we take communion, when we... whatever it may be. When we actually answer a question during community group. When the community group leader asks a question, you actually participate in the discussion. All of those things we ought not be doing with a sense inside of us, I'm going to do this so that they'll think that I care. Or I'm going to do this so that they won't question whether or not I know and love Jesus. You don't, do, you don't take these actions to earn the favor of other people around you. You don't do these things to earn the favor of God. You do these things because it's in you that you have to. Like, like because you've got this Holy Spirit inside of you. This Holy Spirit is building up in you this thing that's just going to kind of come out. You couldn't help but breathe when you held your breath. You could fight it for as long as you want to, but if you're alive, you are going to breathe. If you, if you are so stubborn that you let yourself pass out while holding your breath, what's going to happen the moment you pass out? You're going to start breathing again. So it's not about turning the focus to ourselves. The actions that we take are not for ourselves. The actions that we take as believers are kind of twofold. One, they are for the praise and the glory of God who has saved us. Anything that we do, we do for his glory. We do for his name. We do to build him up. That's what he was talking about in chapter 5, verse 16, when he said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, so they see what you're doing, and give glory to your Father. We don't do these things to draw attention to ourselves. We do these things to draw attention to Him. And also, we do these things for the benefit of the church. We're in this together. So, so when, we, when we respond during a time of worship by raising our hands, in doing so, we're saying to the rest of the church, I'm surrendered. Let's do this. Let's be in this together. When, when, you, when you go and dance, you're like, look, I am unashamed of what Christ has put in me. He wants me to dance. I'm going to go dance. I want you to feel comfortable to do the same thing. It's not about making much of yourself. It's about making much of Christ. When he asks you to give, he's not saying do it so secretly so that people don't don't know that it even happens, but don't do it so that they'll think more of you. Do it so that they'll see, oh, this is worthwhile. This is worth my sacrifice. 
We kind, of, we kind of serve the building up of the body by the way that we go through life together, by the way that we, we take on these things together, by the way that we respond to the love of Christ and His saving us together. We have to do this together because when there are those who are in this room with us who don't know Christ, and they see how passionately we love Jesus and how much our lives have been changed and how that affects us, Inwardly and outwardly. That's what he's getting back to in verse 16 of chapter 5 when he says, then they'll see what you're doing and they'll realize what that's coming from. And then they will give glory to God. Then they will see what it is that God has done for you. The actions that we take as believers are born out of a deep, passionate love for Jesus Christ. So, if you find yourself able to say, I'm going to tap out on this one, or I'm going to just kind of hang back, or I'm not going to participate in this aspect of church life, or the life of being a believer, if you find yourself able to say, I'm going to not fully let myself buy into this worship time, I'm going to not let myself buy into the idea that I need to give, or that I need to pray, or that I need to fast. All of these things that we're going to talk about over the next month or so. If you're able to say those things, then you got to ask yourself, why am I able not to breathe? How, how can I continue going through life not breathing? The answer may be that you aren't alive. The answer may be that you don't have Christ. The answer may be that you haven't had your heart stirred up to love Him by the Holy Spirit. And so I want us to examine ourselves, all of us, saved, unsaved, and say, do I have a sense inside of me that there is something so great, so powerful, so good, so holy, so awe-inspiring? Do I have this sense of God, this love for Christ inside of me that I can't help, I'm compelled to do these things. I'm compelled to respond to that. Not to earn people's attention, but it just naturally kind of comes out of me. I can't. I can't help it. I can't fight it. Maybe you're not alive yet. You haven't taken a first breath. Maybe you haven't really, really felt that love. You haven't understood who Christ is. Well, I hope that by virtue of your being around the church, that you will see that He is worthwhile, that He is he is more satisfying than anything else that you could experience. Maybe you're in Christ, but maybe you're holding your breath. You're fighting it. You don't, you're, like, you're like, I don't, I don't, I don't worship that way. I don't, I don't do things that way. Uh, sometimes, sometimes I just want to have 
you know, quiet moments of worship, right? I just want to kind of have some, some inward focus time. If you're able to say that every time we worship, maybe it's because you're coming up with an excuse. Maybe you're, you're holding back. Maybe you're, you're holding your breath. Well, here's the thing. If you are alive, if you are in Christ, you can only fight that for so long. If you truly love Jesus, you're not going to be able to help but to explode in a response of praise to him at some point. It's going to happen. You're going to have this realization where you're like, oh man, oh man, I, I was dead. And he raised me from the dead. He made me alive. We sang that. Made alive. Like, like, that's a big idea. That's a big deal. Like, we can't wrap our minds around that idea because we don't fully understand what it would feel like to be dead. Right? But that's where we were. Alone and hopeless, right? We sang those words. And he, and he gave us a new heart. He, he put breath in our lungs. He raised us up for a reason. To respond to him in love and worship and praise. And all of these responses. So if you're doing all these things, that's great. But only if it's coming out of a heart that's been changed by Christ for him. For his glory. So if you're in Christ, don't hold your breath. Don't, don't fight it. Let it happen. It's okay to respond. It's okay to, to take action. It's okay to do something. We don't get to tap out as the church. We don't get to take a break. I know we got crazy lives, and I know lots of stuff's going on. But if we've got Christ in us, if we've got this passionate love for Jesus, that ought to be coming out no matter what, no matter where we are. Right? Okay, I'm getting some response now. I'm not blaspheming. You agree with me. Good. Okay. So what do we do with this? Is it that you're fighting it? Is it that you don't have it? Is it that, that you're resisting it? Is it that... You just haven't kind of let go of the fight. Wherever you are, while we're praying and while we're singing, I want you to, to, ins to inspect your life. Ask, where am I? What am I doing? What's the goal here? Why do I do the things I do? Why don't I do the things that I don't do? Maybe it's because you're not in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, I hope that you would grab one of us. You can grab me, you can grab Daniel, you can grab Dad, you can grab... Find a warm body and say, I need to know Jesus. And that warm body will either help you or will help get you to somebody who can help you. If you're in Christ and you keep not feeling it, ask God to stir up your affection for Him, to remind you of who you were to remind you of what he's done for you.
ask yourself if, do the things that I do, am I doing them to try to earn God's favor, to try to try to impress the people around me? And if that's the case, repent of that. Tell God, God, change my heart. Change my motivation. Give me a desire not to earn the favor of the people around me, but instead to so love you that it comes out naturally. There was a great quote that I read. I didn't put it in my notes, so I can't tell you who it was. But I'll tell you this, it wasn't me. He said, here's the best way to figure out how to publicly react when you're with the church. Hide when you're tempted to show. When you're tempted to be seen. Show when you're tempted to hide. And I really liked that. Because it, it kind of answers what's Jesus getting at in this verse. So if you're, if you're wanting to hide, if you're wanting to shrink back, if you're coming up with reasons why I'm not going to react in this way, maybe that's the time that you need to say, obviously the Spirit is moving me to do something. I need to do something. Whether it's raise your hands, whether it's give a tithe, give an offering, be sacrificial, whether it's get down on your knees and just pray, whatever that may be. And I pray that, I'm going to pray right now that we would respond appropriately to what God has put in us. So let's pray.